welcome to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks, perspectives in medicine. During our program, we continue to cover a variety of hot topics in the sports medicine world and more. Welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nara Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne. Today, we have the pleasure of having one of our graduated residents, Charles Kogan, who will be joining us today to talk about his experience as UCSF residents, but most particularly, what it means to be a good sub-intern. Now, for a lot of you who don't know, the way that orthopedic residency works is that once you finish undergrad and, and you earn medical school as a third and sometimes fourth year of a medical student, what you'll do is something called a sub-internship which means basically either going to the orthopedic department where you're doing medical school or to other programs and basically doing orthopedic work to basically get a sense of the program to impress them and to also get a sense of whether you like the program as well too. So a lot of medical students will get stressed out or have a lot of questions about how to excel or do well in the sub-internship. We brought Dr. Kogan on to talk about how he feels you can excel, particularly since he's been there more recently to myself and Brian Drew. I think was a sub-intern a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, with no uh, no further delay, uh, thank you, Charles, for joining us. And maybe tell us a little bit more about your experience, about where you went to med school and, and how you approach sub-internships. Uh, well, you know, first of all, I just want to say thanks for inviting me onto the show. You know, I've only been gone from UCSF for a few weeks, but, you know, missing you guys already. So we miss be, you too, Good to be back. Too. Good to be back virtually. I went to medical school at Northwestern. Grew up in the Chicago land. I went to undergrad at Northwestern. I went to medical school at Northwestern. A lot of the advice I got around sub eyes was, hey, you're from the Midwest. You went to school in the Midwest. No one's ever going to believe that you're leaving the Midwest. So you're not going to go anywhere else. And, you know, sure enough, I, I matched at UCSF. So the first point I'll say is you got to take everything with a grain of salt. I'm also one of those people who who didn't end up matching at one of the places they did their sub eyes. Also important to know that wherever you end up doing your sub eyes, you never know exactly how it's going to work out. So you just got to look at every opportunity as a way to impress. Also learn a little bit about the area that you're going to and the people that you're working with, size of the program, the feel of the program, if it's a super academic place, if it's more of a community program. And that's the variety that I sought to get when I picked my sub eyes. So I went to the University of Utah. That was a program that I, someone told me I'm not leaving the Midwest. So I was like, well, I kind of want to go to the West Coast. So what's like a program that's on the West Coast, but not really on the West Coast? And so I thought Utah fit the bill. I went to Utah. I went to the University of Wisconsin, which was something a, very similar, both in location, program size, and just culture to Northwestern. And then actually, I was, I was going to try to come out to California for a sub-eye, and I got last minute, this was at UCSD, they told me that, sorry, you can't come anymore, we don't have enough spots. So last minute, like the month before, I had to kind of scramble and fill something new. And so I went to a, a private-demic type program in the Midwest, a program called Beaumont in Royal Oak, Michigan. So a nice mix there. And again, I, I just really wanted to try to mix things up, get a variety of exposures to people, places and community and academic programs. When you went to these different programs, it sounds like you really went to three pretty different programs, plus you had your home sub-internship. As you went through, did your philosophy on what you were looking for in a program change or did it pretty much stay the same? It, it totally changed. You can only read so much on paper. And when you ask people, everyone has is coming from their own experience and their experience may not mirror your experience or what they were looking for may not mirror what you are looking for. So it is important to take every bit of advice you get with a grain of salt, which is hard because you're at a time when you you don't have a lot of exposure or 
probably any exposure to programs outside of your own. And you're trying to get an understanding for what other places are like, but there's no real way to do that other than by, by being there. To answer your question, the thing that changed is it became a lot more important to me to be at a program with a, a culture and a people and just like a, a approach or philosophy that matches with what want and what you are as a person. If you're a real academic and you're going to a community program somewhere, you're going to get that feel pretty much from early on being there and it may not mesh. There's a lot of information online that may or may not be publicly easily available. When you went to programs, did you feel that doing a sub-internship gave you a confirmation of what was online versus a feel of actually a lot of those comments weren't too accurate. And I'm really glad I went to Wisconsin or Utah because I got a much more honest sense of the program than what was written. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, what's written is by oftentimes by students who have rotated at a place in the past and they saw one snippet of the program and they don't get a feel it's hard to convey what what the program is actually like. There's really no better way to experience a place than by being there. I found almost 100% of those comments to be not representative necessarily of what what I experienced. And Charlie, I think, you know, one of the challenges too is there's so many programs around the country. And how did you approach like narrowing it down to, you know, two to three that you would go spend time at? And is that just kind of blindly throwing darts at it? Or did you have good guidance on what you were looking at? I wouldn't say a little bit of both, but it, it's in the end, you just, you just have to make a decision and, and kind of stick with it. You know, you can only do really three, maybe if you include your home, some people I'd say probably doing four sub eyes, you know, your home rotation, and then maybe two or three others. And you can only get a small sample size. And I think the best way to pick is by trying to reach out to your mentors. If they know people at programs, reaching out to other medical students to try to maybe just have a conversation with them face to face instead of, you know, through the interwebs of people disguised writing comments, but just talking to people to try to get a feel. But at the end of the day, you just, you ha- you make your decision, you stick with it. You kind of just do the best that you can. There's, there's, I really don't think there's a perfect way to, to make that choice. And when you were doing your sub-internships, Charlie, I think a lot of, we always think about how we can, as, as a sub-I, how you can impress the faculty. What were things you were looking at during these programs? Because I think as much of this process is, if you're going to be happy here, I remember when I did my sub-I's, there were a couple of programs that I was like, oh, I would have loved to match here. And then I did a sub-I and I was like, there's no way I'd want to do this. It's not the environment for me. What, what were you looking at, you know, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you bring up a really good point there, which is a lot of times you're thinking, I'm doing a sub-I because I want to know, like, I want to impress these people. I want them to take me. But another very valuable thing from a sub-I is going somewhere and realizing this isn't the place for me because you can picture a few programs that might be like that program that you got to experience. And then that really changes your approach to, you know, to match and to ranking because you can say, you know what, I thought I was going to like program X. Turns out I really don't like a, you know, big academic center. You know, I, you know, I can think of a few places like that, that maybe won't actually be so high on my list, but to really answer the question, you know, how do you do well? I honestly think that part is actually pretty easy with a few kind of key ingredients that you can take to any program that you go to. I think you have to be nice. You have to smile. You have to be helpful. Get there early. I think if you show up, you're not just on time, but you're early, you're prepared, and you have a smile on your face, and you're there to help the team the day go smoothly. 
everything else will fall into place. You know, nobody expects you as a semi to know every single bit of knowledge about everything orthopedic. That, that's what orthopedic residency is, for, residency is for. I'm five years, you know, through that and I still don't know everything. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Healing <laughs> knows for sure. I, I think you just need to show up, show that you're a, a normal, fun, nice, hardworking person. Those are kind of the key ingredients to success. Yeah, I think for people who listen or watch haven't gone through this, I don't think they get a sense of how stressful this is for the sub-intern. And really, I think it should be something that is 50% the sub-I is interviewing us and we are interviewing them. And it really is on the programs to make it a culture of learning and acceptance and understanding that we should be showing off for the sub-I's as much as the other way around. Uh, Drew, your program director, or one of the program directors at UCSF, when you look at a large batch of sub-I's last year, I think we had over 50, what do you look for in terms of performance on sub-I's that you feel makes them stand out? It's a lot of what Charlie said, and it, it's easy for people to hold it together in a 10-minute interview. And then during a month-long period of time, you start to you know really see personality more honestly. But I think, you know, those traits of, you know, being nice, teamwork, it's a fine line between, you know, you want people to notice your effort, uh, but then you'd also don't want to, you know, like self-promote and call attention to yourself. And so it's that fine line of, you know, doing a good job, helping out the team, understanding what your role is and doing that. And then I think finding ways to make the team work better. And then, um, you know, I think the knowledge side, people have varying levels of knowledge coming into a sub-I. And it's, you know, there are some people who've had months of orthopedics by that point, and, you know, they should have a, you know, better knowledge base, or they've done an extra year of research, things like that. And then there's others where it's like their first or second time on an orthopedic rotation, and all of that's fine. But I think the biggest thing is, do they show growth over their time? And are they learning, reading, applying what they've seen earlier in the rotation? And are they responsive to feedback to and how do they handle that because you know residency is a like a training program and you know showing that i can take feedback take direction and improve what i'm doing to you know to get better i think all those are really key things to look at and then i think the last thing too is like their interest in the program that they're at you know that's where it is like the applicant having a chance to interview our program and say is this where I should be? And is this where I would learn best? And I think sometimes that interest comes across like certainly towards the end of the month. And that's totally fair where it's like, you know what, like this isn't where I want to be. And then, or like, Hey, I've had a great experience. And then all these other resources I've been learning about these. And I would really take advantage of these as a resident and that drive to understand more of what's going on at the place goes a long way too to hopefully matching at that program. And also kind of a follow-up question for both you, uh, Drew and, and Charlie. I think one of the key things is also getting a letter of recommendation from someone when you're there at the program. And, and that can be difficult, I think, if you're on a service where you're working with multiple different attendees or you don't necessarily kind of find someone to, to kind of write that for you. Can you tell a little bit about your strategy, Charlie, when you were going through rotations in terms of, of you know, trying to identify someone to write a letter for you. And then, and Drew, from your perspective, what you're looking for in that letter, particularly at a sub-I where you're there for just four weeks. Maybe Charlie, you can go first. Yeah, this is like Dr. Fila was saying, a, a stressful process. I think this is one of the things that a lot of sub-Is you know, do stress about, and rightly so, because letters of recommendation are a big part of your application. 
the hard part is that people interpret letters of recommendation differently, like the people who are reading them. You know, some people, I think, put a lot of stock in a letter of recommendation from someone they know. Some people put a lot of stock in a letter of recommendation, even if they don't know the person that that just speaks volumes about the actual applicant, like a well-written letter from someone who clearly knows you. It's a little hard to predict what your reviewer is really looking for. So I think the ideal world is that you you meet an attending early on, you get a chance to work with them again in the operating room, or the clinic, you can meet somebody who you, who you have established a good rapport with so that you can feel comfortable asking them, you know, for a letter of recommendation. So I think, you know, for sub eyes who are going through the process, my recommendation would be to try to identify somebody early on, maybe even before you get there or, or within the first couple of days of being there, who you might have the opportunity to work with for a few times so you can get to know them, so they can get to know you. You can show that you're a hard worker, that you're you're one of the team players that Dr. Lance and I was talking about. And then you can ask them. And my thought is asking in person is the best way to really ask somebody for a letter of recommendation, hopefully toward the end of your rotation. Yeah, I think it's really important to ask in person. I think that's a great point. I think it's important to ask for necessarily the last day because as a letter writer, we want to get a sense of if somebody has worked with us for one day, they ask for a letter, there's usually the opportunity to say, sure, probably, but work with me a little bit more. And in terms of writing that letter, when we write for sub eyes, it's different than if we write for somebody that we've known for four to five years. So Charlie, when I wrote your letter for fellowship, it was after a four-year relationship as a resident, working on the sideline, having you literally save somebody's life on the sideline, making sure that we know you is going to be much harder in four weeks. So making sure you develop that time to have that mentorship. But then it's on the faculty member to also get a sense from the other residents, the support team, the PAs, the NPs in clinic, and then the other faculty members to make sure it's a good letter. And then for sub-eyes, it's important to ask other people who are actually the good letter writers, because some of us are great mentors and great teachers, and maybe we're just not the best letter writers. And that's usually a program-by-program specific thing. Yeah. And you mentioned something key there too, Dr. Feely, is whoever's writing your letter and in general, who you interact with as a sub-eye from the staff who greet you at the front door of the surgery center to the all the way up to the attending, like everybody you work with, you need to be respectful to. And and that's not just for your sub-eye, that's for life, honestly. Residency, like, you know, one of the worst things you can do as a sub-eye is to really kind of be really great and awesome in front of the attending, but then not a good team player or disrespectful to other people, because that will come across, that will filter its way through, uh, especially with this letter writing process. So that's another key point, I think. I think there's always that question of, oh, should I get a letter from my away rotation and don't know me as well? And I think when we're reviewing applications too, like we always know that it's like, it is like a one month letter. So it's not going to be this like long personal relationship, but it is just like another source saying, hey, he or she worked hard they're a good team player, they're you know, doing well, they performed well in this rotation, and just like another point of input for your application. And it won't be as strong as like that primary mentor from your Hoban program, but can just be another like outside perspective. And I think it can still be worth including, but it is always hard to like, you know, such limited interaction to get something worthwhile in a letter. Exactly. So, you know, lots for sub eyes to navigate very stressful period. I know, I think the latest data said 50% of medical students who are applying into ortho won't match into ortho. So obviously, it's a very stressful period of time. And hopefully this gives 
some of the sub-interns out there, some guidance and medical students as they try to navigate their specialties and hopefully match into a residency program. So once again, thank you, Charlie, for joining us today. Good luck with fellowship. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charlie. We hope you all can listen to our next episode, Six to Eight Weeks, Perspective in Sports Medicine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, Six to Eight Weeks, Perspectives in Medicine. What do you think of this topic? Connect with us now. In addition to finding our contact form, you'll also find our social media links in our entire six to eight weeks episode archive. Help us grow our listenership by liking, subscribing, and sharing everywhere. We're eager to hear from you, and we'll be sending you more great thought-provoking content in less than six to eight weeks.